You are listening to Mediation Station, and this is your host, Greg Fenton. Each week, we explore topics and ideas related to the experience of people with conflict and look to promote the profession of conflict resolvers. We are available to connect with at greggf at primus.ca and 647-227-4734. Visit us at our Facebook page to like us and Facebook group page to become a member. Also visit YouTube to see channels for CHHA 1610 AM and Greg Fent. Listen to podcasts of each radio show by visiting soundcloud.com and at iTunes podcasts under Mediation Station. We also have a Twitter account. It's at Fenton Mediation, so follow us. Tonight, we're going to talk about Healing Generational Hurts program. And visiting us tonight are both Carol Sandy and Kyle Carter. And both are here in the studio. And uh, welcome to each of you. Thank you, Greg. All right. How about we start a little bit about your professional background? You want to start first, Carol? Sure. Um, so basically, my I would say my background, I began most of, uh, I guess, my time working with families. But I would say actually more on a personal level. I think um, I also, I, I was in a family that worked really hard to support each other, and we had a lot of support different sort of friends and family that just taught us the value of staying strong and relying on one another and from there I think I I, you know I went into communications just to be able to listen to stories and and support people and when I went into communications I started to really develop a desire for wanting to help be more helpful and that's actually where I kind of came into contact with the conflict mediation uh, downsview. And I started volunteering there, and, and that was it. I, uh, you know, I started to do more coaching and therapy, and I went back to school. So um, that's where it all began for me, uh, changing generations. Um, and I, I really, first it started with putting my own practice into education, and because I know that was important, I needed more of that. Um, and then from there, I just started to just really zone in on families, sitting with them, holding those really important stories, supporting them through the difficulties. And this this initiative came out of that, just knowing that there are hurts that are being passed on from generation to generation. And how do we confront those issues effectively? Okay. How about you, Kyle? Uh, I, th- I see myself more as a community guy. Um, I very much... Uh, enjoy being in community with uh, with uh, different spaces, different places. Um, have the opportunity to live in a number of provinces in Canada for a uh, different amount of times. And professionally, I think my um, my my journey was one that cu- took me into group homes. Um, I worked with youth on the street for a number of years, uh, low end communities, um, and then I just continuing to transition with the children and children to youth, youth to young adults to kind of see where uh, where the journey has taken them and what they struggled with and um, and trying to get to the heart of, of, of where can where can I make an impact, where can I help. Uh, so I think the, uh, the last place that I, I uh, volunteered and had the greatest uh, mediation or circle opportunity was in a correctional system while I was a volunteer and we would a group of volunteers would go into a federal institution and do uh, circle programs and and mediation program for two days we would sleep in a strange house overnight and run back there early in the morning and we just have conversation and in the circle everyone was equal 
It wasn't about who was an inmate and who was outside of the community, uh, coming from outside of the community. We just sat in a circle and we shared um, our, our pains. We shared our, our, our hurts. We share, shared how we can help one another, how we can encourage uh, one another, what other steps we can take. So that is a place where um, I did actually had a, a great opportunity to do that in the institution. And then following that, they had a circle outside of the institution. So when guys were out, they would get together and, and kind of uh, we do the same process outside, a continuation. So uh, it, it was it was a beautiful place to see where um, where mediation can go and conversations can go in community. Yeah, conversations especially. I mean, individuals would be best to have ownership of their Mm-hmm. own conversations rather than being told what the, they're thinking and feeling and in the circle I would believe would have an opportunity for people to self express mm-hmm. sure. from a reflective point of view and, and if it was as you mentioned it was in the, the, the prison system mm-hmm. you know involving incarcerated individuals would it also involve family members from of those people as well? Not in that particular structure in a particular structure it was kind of um a place where a number of inmates would be in the circle. So uh, it was pretty much a balanced circle of maybe 15 and 15, quite large. Um, well, maybe not that much, maybe 10 and 10. Well, quite large, but allowing us to share, and that would sometimes be difficult if family members were there because uh, that there would be more of an uh, imbalance or a concern about what can be said and what couldn't be said. We knew it was confidential, but... Uh, things change when you have family in the circle, as you well know. Yeah, absolutely. When you have anybody different from, you know, that's why in mediation there's always people who want to sit in and observe. can be very challenging for the people who are there, the principals who've been affected, to have, quote, outsiders sitting in and watching mm-hmm. and listening and learning of very personal matters that the people have gone through and are going through. So, that you know, the two of you obviously are very uh, focused on relationships mm-hmm. and working with individuals who are comprised of individual or also family members as well. So what does it mean to each of you to work with these individuals, families that are experiencing conflict, just in general, as an overall? For me, I think it's so important to create a safe place so that individuals can deal with the conflict that they're holding on to. So we know just in terms of when we ha- we're struggling with any traumatic event, when we hold things in, we're not a, you know we're not as we're not going to get through those difficulties, and that's where we see mental health coming into play, and all these different sort of challenges. So it's f- so important um, that they have a place to deal with these issues and conflicts. So I'm very passionate about offering that space, um, and in you know in my background, just sitting even with men. Um, when I used to work at New Start, giving men the opportunities to have a safe place to talk about domestic violence because they were mandated to connect, just to come in with us to get to do therapy. And really, it wasn't a pointing, you're guilty of this, or we're actually going to sit down and restory. We're going to give you a new way to see yourself so that you can go out into the community and be effective. Um, so it's really an important initiative to, re- to be able to help people deal with their conflict and i'm sure you know those conversations can be very difficult absolutely difficult one to express or to get people to express and also for other people to hear mm-hmm. so like having difficulty in some some way and then also with the concept of safety yes. how do you create safe places for difficult conversations to happen 
that are not going to be creating more difficulty or be problematic in some way. So I think the first main thing is that you just you just need to be with a person, be with a family, be with an individual, and allow them to just be, not respond to them in a way, go where they're taking you, not have an agenda, and really allow them to um, lead the discussion. Take, take the lead, yeah. That's it. Because, yeah. I mean, it, the most important piece is that they, outside, a lot of things are dictated, telling them when to go, where to go, where to be, and you want them to know that this is your hour. This is your opportunity to just share and discuss. And so I'm I'm going where you're taking me. So I think that's the first place. Creating a place where there's freedom for once and 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 allowing individuals to feel comfortable in that and know that it's it's actually real. I'm not gonna change the agenda on them. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean self empowerment for me. Mm-hmm. And from that self determination. Right. Where people have ownership, the ability to you know, basically control how they feel and how they can express those feelings mm-hmm. and what they're all about. And so that there are not these limitations that generally society imposes on people, especially when you have a different point of view. Absolutely. That can be then projected onto us that can be very judgmental That's right. and then box us into some way. Yeah, I think it, it's great because that, though, that same principle, um, when I meet with men uh, in in, a, in the detention center, uh, I want to I give them a chance where they can also have hope, right? Where they can believe that they can accomplish um, some of the dreams that they have, they, the aspirations that they have. It's, it's not going to be limited by um, this bump in the road. We, they've made a decision or, they're, or they've, they've encountered a situation uh, that has put their life on hold and uh, while they're in that uh, disempowered space uh, I I don't want them to think that this is who you are or this is the totality of of what your life will look like but this is just um, a a period of time and then uh, we still need to be planning on what the future looks like what does what 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 do your goals look like what do your family reconnection look like how are you preparing yourself for that time Um, how are you uh, how are you healing now that you have this time apart, what what are some of the things that that remain unaddressed? So, um, just to be compassionate, to be empathetic, to be present with them, um, always remembering that each person has a story mm-hmm. that shapes who and where they are right now. I just don't. Sometimes people feel that they actually have that opportunity to express their story or share their story. Mm-hmm. That others are open to hearing their story. Mm-hmm. Others care. Like you talked about compassion, mm-hmm. em- empathy, you, you know, I, I sense that uh, you want people to know that there is, that's not the end of the road. Absolutely. There's something further to journey through, to accomplish, mm-hmm. and to, you know, it's a struggle, mm-hmm. for sure, because yeah. you know, life is what it is, and each of us follows a path, and, or, and we try to lead through a path, too, that we can encourage others to come along. So it's always something. And we actually have a uh, person calling in. And you're you're there, Mr. Caller? Yes, I am. Good evening, everyone. Good evening. How you doing? Not bad. Not bad. Um, I heard certain, um, I was going to say a four-letter word, uh, mentioned uh, at the beginning. Good to see uh, somebody else. One of the things I find fascinating, I'm also, um, I used to work for a short time with CMSC, and it uh, makes my heart both uh, glad and sad at the same time to see how people have 
reached out and expanded on uh, conflict and uh, and working within the communities from uh, from their experience with uh, CMSD. It, it, it's nice to know that our roots do run a little bit deep um, from the work that we did there, so that's awesome. Good for you. What's your name, caller? Um, Brian. Oh, hi, Brian. Yeah. <laughs> I know Brian. <laughs> Brian actually has a radio program here on Friday nights, too, yes. called Mr. B's Bounce. Okay. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. Thanks for calling. Boy, thanks for having me on. So, um, yeah. I have, a, I have a, an interesting question. Just thinking about, um, I, I know the stigma with, reg with regards to <clears throat> incarceration and the like, but my, my question is, do you find you, f you have unique challenges working with people in terms of those stigmas and the like when um, different cultures are involved? So do you find it that if people are coming from a particular culture, their perspective, both with incarceration and thus with the healing process, is different and is, and in that is there a challenge for you mm -hmm. either one of you so i think um you're yes <laughs> i think um it's very difficult to have families come and work alongside in my case i'm a couple and family therapist i work with families and a lot of the times their understanding of therapy and the work behind it it takes time to sort of get them comfortable because they're they're uncomfortable with the system, mm -hmm. and so yeah, it's it's really you know it's really about putting the cards on the table. And for me, how I work, I you know I try and work from a strength based approach, but saying you know what, let's we know what we're facing here. We know that there's some challenges besides structural challenges that we're up against. Um, and let's let's put that out. And uh, I'm aware of it. You're aware of it. And I try to be very open with that. Um, and so when I work with families, that's on the table. And then how we're going how are we gonna move forward? How are we gonna keep our eyes and ears open so that incarceration doesn't become a generational thing? Mm -hmm. And how do we sort of allow people to express their fear and concern? Again, it comes back to saying this is your time. Yes, I'm gonna. I'm working for a ther from a therapeutic approach, but I'm also open to saying let's really let's really look at these issues that are getting in the way here, and how can we look at the resources that are available to you so that you're not silencing yourself and staying away when we have so much that we, I want to offer you, I want to work with you on. So it is. It's a very unique, and you have to be really intentional. And I, I try not to hide behind um, very obvious issues, and I think I try and challenge my my own coworkers to do the same. But that's you know, it all depends on where people are and how comfortable they are. Um, but I really do try and challenge my own coworkers to to sort of step up to the plate and call it as it is, and and look at the issues at hand. Thank you. I think also we have to look at things like um, social economical. Uh, place in society, and um, that cause that that changes people's opportunities uh, mm -hmm. when they're coming back into society. What where are they going? Uh, what opportunities are available to them? Um, if we look at places like Toronto, um, not sorry, not Toronto. I would say more Ontario, where we have such a high uh, incarceration rate for African Canadians and Indigenous people. Um, those numbers are staggering. Mm -hmm. You know, I mean, if you look over the last, I, I think there was a report done 
by um, Howard uh, Cyper, and I think he said over a 10-year period that the, um, the African-Canadian uh, rate of incarceration increased 70, almost 70%. Uh, where they represent uh, 4.3% of the population. So those kind of, of numbers, um, oh, so they account for 24% of the federal uh, prison population and only 4.3% of the general population. Mm-hmm. So if you look at those numbers, of course, um, there's going to be difficulties when they're getting back into society and, and the expectation and we have societies. Um, perceptions and the things that they put forward. So uh, it's just a a challenge upon challenge. These these different levels and uh, staggering against them. And how do we how do we address those uh, from a systemic level as well as a community level? Thank you. Mm-hmm. Do you want to say something else, right? Well, being from being Afro Caribbean myself, I was. It's one of the things that uh, was of interest and concern is that. One of the hardest things I would think we, um, as a subgroup culture, whatever you, whatever the, the the cachet term for it today is, <laughs> it is how do we keep it not being generational, where there's a certain level of, if not expectation, just resolve or resolution that you know that that, that it could happen to us. So trying to stay upbeat, trying to stay positive, and for those that do get caught within the system let them know that there is a, a viable way out. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. We need to bring that hope. We need to open the discussion. And I find in a lot of times with families, when it gets silent and there's no movement, this is where certain things creep in. This is where when we stop talking and we stop, uh, stop asking each other questions, um, we don't know what either one of us are thinking or doing. And we start forming other connections. Um, or we really feel bombarded by all the negativity around us at times, whether it's loss of income or just struggling to sort of, you know, figure out what, how are we going to survive. Mm-hmm. And so when we stop talking, when we stop having conversations and connecting with each other, I always say, let's keep things moving. M- one of the most important things we try and, and encourage families to do is when things get silent, there's usually something creeping around and let's start talking about it. How are we feeling? How do we start to look at um, emotions and not stuff anger in? Because there is a lot up at, we're up against, let's be honest. And I think um, myself and Kyle were discussing, we're ripe right now f- for these types of discussions. There's so much, uh, you know, when we look at, at how our world is, like on a macro level, mm-hmm. all the different organizations, whether it's Black Lives Matter or anything else that's happening, this is, something is erupting, (laughs) and this is the time to be having these discussions and and seeing what we can do differently, and really look at where it begins, and I'm not blaming it on families, I'm not blaming, this is not parent blaming, family blaming, this is, let's go back to the community and, and see what we can start to do differently, let's have conversations and care about each other and really, again, be intentional. Yeah, I think it's always it's always true that you're going to find um, the answer is going to come from the community. We can we can have those who believe they're specialists, those who believe that 
they have studied and have all the research. I think that's absolutely necessary. I think it gives us a great starting point. It's, uh, it's uh, information gathering, uh, but then every community is different, and every community has their own solution to problems. Uh, and so it's about stepping in and being beside those who are uh, who are the bridge builders, the gatekeepers, the, uh, the the leaders within the community to say, what have you seen? What have you learned? What have you experienced? Mm-hmm. And now, what can? How can we support you um, to to uh, move this in a positive direction? Mm-hmm. How can we build on it to make it to give? those that are most affected a sense of ownership of the process right and looking for looking for similarities more than differences we were so good at looking at differences oh they're on a different you know there's different stories there we're not the same we can't connect let's let's move away from that and look at some similarities so that you know in the community we can kind of build into each other and, and sort of um, create something that there's that's meaningful that can create change. And I think, you know, it takes starting to look internally, look at yourself, and then just sort of pouring back whatever you can, whatever you can to make a difference in your community. It doesn't have to be something big, but just starting something. And I would I would say, too, that differences, actually, to, to get people to look at differences from a different lens, mm. rather than seeing them as barriers mm-hmm. and walls, That's that right. they're opportunities and from opportunities create potentials for untapped whatever. So it's an opportunity for individuals to be enriched by our differences rather than being what separ- what what is different about us that separates us and keeps us divided rather than seeing, from my point of view, mm-hmm. those differences as opportunities for enriching our lives mm-hmm. and enhancing them. We haven't done that very well. Right. Absolutely. <laughs> because traditionally society sees difference diversity as a barrier, a wall. Anything to add there, Brian? Nope. That's awesome. Kyle, Kyle, it sounds like you're doing some great work. Um, That can only be better for everyone. Thank you very much. Thank you so much, Brian. Thank you for calling in, Brian. Thank you. Bye-bye. You've developed this initiative called Healing Generational Hurts Program. How would you explain that? So healing um, generational hurts is really about helping families and uh, to remain active rather than passive, um, and it's really about focusing on what I, I guess stated earlier in, term, in terms of just healing generational hurts that really affect the the cycle of incarceration, generational incarceration. So how do we help families to address that issue? with bringing community back in. So what we really are are sort of working on is helping individuals to work with family. So that's my work, my my baby, I would say, um, and really have families talk again, look at the issues, understand possibly how they're still stronger despite they have a a family member that's incarcerated. How do I support that family to still feel like they can stand on their own two feet? Um, and Kyle also works well with men, and that's where his focus is on. And so our work together is saying that these men have stories that are outside of themselves when they're in the institution. And how do they? How do these families make sense of that? How do they uh, learn to sort of not separate themselves from community so that they can stay stronger? And how can they um, stay 
know that they still have a life and they can still be strong even if their loved one is in jail. That so in other in other words, they can still have dreams. They can still have a purpose um, and um, feel alive in in terms of just not waiting for the their loved one to come back and not feel that you know it's the end. And so a lot of the work is just sort of supporting families to have confidence to sit in their pain and because there's a lot of grief in that and and be respectful of those moments and those conversations but still keep them active as we're doing that right i think um when we think of men who and women who have been incarcerated uh, we don't have a full understanding of what they go through uh family members they are told uh part of the story the those incarcerated try to protect them so that they don't have to worry uh, there's a lot of time between um, the start from the arrest uh, to sentencing to their time incarceration, preparing for release. All of those different stages are different stages that the those who are incarcerated are going through. And, uh, and there's so many restrictions, uh, so many realities that don't come into their mind prior to incarceration. If somebody is sick, if somebody is in the hospital, if someone um, it decides that they, they're not sure if they can stay around uh, as a family, as a partner, all those realities happen while you're incarcerated and uh, under the, the system of incarceration. Uh, where you have few power, few, few, few choices, and so in that space, uh, whether it's in release, uh, while they're incarcerated or post-release, when they're outside, there needs to be a time for them to talk through that. There needs to be a time for them to de- the men and women to debrief through that, uh, so that they can get to a healthier space. And also, if we can be uh, informing. And, and, and helping the level of, uh, helping them get an understanding of what their role is as a partner, uh, or a father, or, or a son, or, uh, all these different roles, um, prior, uh, while they're incarcerated and what they're preparing for when they get out. Let's not make it too lofty. Let's not make it too big because when the pressure is so huge that, uh, well, I've just lost four years of, of income to the family and I owe them all of that and I get out and I'm not getting a job right away, mm-hmm. that pressure becomes one that causes them to, to want to revert to old, old habits. Uh, so we want to be able to say, it's all right. Your presence is enough. Your presence uh, in that family is uh, is a wealth that that you need to understand, and we understand that it will take time. But getting back into that old behaviors is only going to continue that cycle, and and then that becomes normalized for the family, and then that becomes uh, that becomes little Johnny or Sally's reality that dad isn't here most of the time, and when dad is here, well, there's some shifty people coming around, perhaps or. Or, or they're, you know, they hear conversations as they get older. They have better understanding of what's happening and who dad is and what people are saying about him. But if in the home they are having ability or understanding that this is my dad's identity because we're having this discussion. I know who my father is. I know he's writing me. I know I'm visiting him. I know he loves me. Uh, if, if those things are happening, no one else is going to be able to shape that, that understanding of who that parent is mm-hmm. and I think that 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 is what's going to make the biggest change so in terms of the, the initiative the intention 
to assist and help. Mm-hmm. Is it more about the incarcerated, the family, or a combination? It's definitely a combination, but I think um, definitely we're working with the families because we know it's we're not trying to paint a rosy picture um, in terms of every you know we just come in and and everything's fine, but we're meeting families that are angry, that are hurt, that are lost, that feel that they need to not talk about or who can they talk about uh, with this issue because there's a stigma. There's a stigma, right? Right? We're the family on the block that or they you know and those and people, right? Mm-hmm. And so it's really about, again, holding those conversations. So our focus is really on supporting the families and offering them an opportunity if they choose to have a connection with the person that's incarcerated. Because in some cases, that might be very difficult to to, to occur right away. They may not want to. They want to distance distance themselves. So we're really careful in knowing are we, where are we, and we want to make sure we assess appropriately. We're not, again, we're going to meet the family where they are, and we're not going to rush them, but we're also, but we are going to support them to, to, to um, show them some red flags. What are some of the concerns that we're noticing, um, and really support them through it. So yeah, the initiative is definitely working with the families, but it's also um, having those conversations so that they're prepared if and when that person comes back into the home. And how do we support them to still know that they're a family despite they are, you know, they're still a family despite this challenge. They are still accepted. They're still loved. But it has to start in the home first so that they can then, you know, go out and not feel that there's something wrong with them or, you know, they've been marked by this. And I think that's part of what happens sometimes in terms of feeling like we're, you know, we're just not good people or you know we are they're responding to the messages that they feel and i think with the stigma mm-hmm. also compliments when you talk about cultures there's a lot of shame Absolutely. possibly that when somebody does something quote wrong to tarnish the name of the family or the image of the family that there's possibility that people are no longer part of the family anymore and so, and so here we are at a place where uh, the family is important, but then the other part that I think we miss the most is talking to the community and preparing the community for people coming back in and, and uh, recognizing, let's have this conversation. Who are, who are the people next door? Who, like, don't be fooled, anyone out there. Uh, they <laughs> there's, there's possibly somebody in your neighborhood in a couple block radius that has been incarcerated or impacted by incarceration, mm-hmm. for sure. Uh, so, so what are we doing as a community to prepare our for ourselves for that? Are we going to remain in this place of of stigma, or are we are we going to try and help them create new opportunities to create um, a, a welcoming space? Because uh, as I often share, if if we don't create a welcoming space, they're going to go back to their welcoming space, to the place that is ready to accept them. And unfortunately, that is continuing that cycle of recidivism mm-hmm. and going back into the old behaviors, and that's not helping our community in any way. We have to get away from that idea that it's them and us. We are all community. We are all part of the same community. When when they move back in, they are part of us. And I think lastly, what we didn't really speak about is also trying to um, get that conversation to, to helping professionals how are helping professionals in different areas whether social workers whether um, psychology I think Carol this is your area a little bit more uh, how are they 
approaching the idea of those who the stigmas that are, are all also attached to those who have been incarcerated. Uh, so it's really about checking their self. We you know we do it all the time. We did it while we were training and supervision. Are we aware of the you know the perceptions that we hold? When you say we, who's we? Helping professionals. How are we coming, walking into these homes? How are we connecting with them in community? How are we having conversations where we're helping them to come back and participate in their community actively and are not saying, no, that's not for us or we don't belong here? No, actually, you can come. And in in fact, make uh, use of the resources that are available to you. Because what we know is families tend to shut away and we don't know or they tend to... remain in their circles that don't reinforce positive behaviors and so we want to kind of bring them out and so are we challenging them to these opportunities giving them the opportunity to sort of have these conversations grow advocate for them advocate for them and really sort of remind them that you have this role that you can um support people because we know even in the school systems teachers principals they don't know how to deal with these challenges that many of these children if they have a parent that's in in jail they don't know they don't they're not sure how to maneuver around that and that's a you know that's a very delicate issue and so how do we support these children to to let them know that they don't need to be afraid and but it is challenging and it is a difficult place i I would say it's you know, one thing to have skills. It's, mm-hmm. it's another to have a certain mindset mm-hmm. that you're interested <laughs> to actually want to help and support people. And if you don't have that interest, people are just objects or they just pass through our lives and there's no connecting. Mm-hmm. And so there's no impact, positive impact right. at least, mm-hmm. that can be creating uh, some roots or gathering a, an opportunity to root itself to transform mm-hmm. the person in their lives from the negative into a more hopeful positive path mm-hmm. and, uh, and what you'll see is you'll see that that shift will happen generally when uh, when someone from their family ends up uh, incarcerated oh well they're not like that all the time oh this that's not who they are it was just an incident it was just a situation if you knew who they were and what they were going through then that's why well yeah I agree with you but we need to understand that it's not only valid for our families it's valid for every person that is incarcerated I'm not saying everyone is perfect I'm not saying everyone um, doesn't have uh, have a haven't made bad decisions but the more that we hear people's stories the more that we have this discussion is the more that we'll understand that um, they need more resources they need more supports they need more uh, we all need those things in order to move up and to, to be a better society and if we are not reaching out to others then unfortunately um, people are going to repeat the cycle people are going to repeat the cycle I mean whether it's the individual who does something that ends up harming themselves and causing them to get incarcerated or as the product of and consequence of impacting negatively the family and the, their supports that are traditionally there in some way. Mm-hmm. It's And if it recurs again, it's going to reinforce. Mm-hmm. It's going to re- entrench it even more in a harmful way because it's not the first time. It's again, oh, you know what? I told you that person was like that. And, 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 and even at the beginning when I was sharing about the different areas where I've been able to work with people, uh, and youth and young adults and, and adults, 
um, you know, if you look at the stats, you'll find uh, in the federal system, like six, 60% of the people incarcerated have a gr- eighth grade education or lower. So who is who is failing them? Right. Or if, if we look at uh, women who have been incarcerated, you'll find that um, two. What is it? Eighty eighty six percent of them have had physical abuse, have, have been uh, physically abused or 70 percent of them um, have a his have somewhere in their history where they've been sexually abused. So we're failing them and then they resort to a way to, uh, to survive and then we incarcerate them. So how are we as a community addressing and fixing uh, addressing and supporting those who are in need so they're victimized they're victims and then they're then pun- we punished, we punished <laughs> because of the, the the reality of their being victimized and what that entails and brings as a legacy for them mm-hmm. then you know they know from where they're at and then the system mm-hmm. doesn't have the empathy the concern or care and the appreciation that everybody's not the same and we need to recognize the individuality of people and their lived experiences. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. And help them to know that they are not their problem. They are not, you know, they are s- there's a separation that happened to them, but they are not that issue. Um, and so I think that's part of the therapy is kind of how do we support individuals to see themselves in a new light, restoring, recreating a new story that they can see themselves we want these individuals to to feel good about themselves. No, they did make a, diff, a, a, a an error. They may have hurt somebody, and by no means are we taking that lightly. But can they see themselves differently? And, 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 challenge and, and you talked earlier about the approach of using strength based, mm-hmm. right? You use mm-hmm. people's assets, their That's positives, right. rather than focusing on their negatives. Mm-hmm. And so everybody's got some some kind of aspect of positive and assets. It's has it been harnessed? Uh, has it been you know developed to a point? Right. Yeah. So it's <laughs> <laughs> with the uh, initiative, I'll call it that. I mean, mm-hmm. It's got a name for sure. Mm-hmm. At what point are you with it? So right now, I guess we're just sort of um, we're starting off. Um, we'll have a webinar coming up on April eighth. And really, we're just starting to have discussions with communities. We're starting, we're looking for people that are interested and understand how could we support families. So we're looking for organizations that are interested in working alongside us. Um, so, you know, we're really starting to, you know, create, we have a workshop that we have that we, you know, would like to share with individuals. How do we start these conversations? Why is it so important? How, why do we need community to, to sort of initiate this discussion. So we're really at the beginning parts of this, of just sort of um, finding out how can we support families? Are there, uh, you know, organizations that want to be part of this? So how would you see to reach out to those? Well, right now, you know, we're do, you know we've been attending um, a few uh, well workshops to sort of let people know. Um, my private practice is, you know, available, so they can jump online and find out more about us. A family that heals and together. Take, take the opportunity to explain online where. Yep, they can jump online and and go to a family that heals together dot com, and they they'll find out a little bit about us. They can email us there, um, and so really we're just trying to sort of. Uh, I guess promote and talk about different, talk to different communities, um, tell them about, you know, talk to different faith groups. We've had an opportunity to do that as well too. Invite agencies that have families that are challenged with these sort of issues to sort of talk to, to come to us and share. And so we're really, we really want people to start to 
open their eyes to this to these issues and really possibly sort of jump on the the bandwagon with us and see and really get an understanding of what what's why we're so passionate about this why it's so important to, to us to sort of take us take a mm-hmm. step forward well, I think there's this, there's this huge gap that nobody's talking about um, especially uh, in in the provincial level there's not very many agencies out there that are supporting families mm-hmm. uh, I know that there's a few to a few large ones in, uh, that focus more on the federal system so federal system is two years plus a day uh, of a sentence and if they're um, going to be incarcerated for less than two years they'll be in a provincial location and you know that's that's the place where we want to try and 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 support people because it is a shorter amount of time. It is uh, a bump in a road, and and it's something that if we can support and create a positive community around someone, then uh, we we are breaking that cycle of incarceration for that individual and hopefully for the for the generation to follow. So we wanna we wanna continue to connect with those who are who understand the importance. Of of uh, supporting the family coming around the family, we're speaking uh, to to faith groups. We're talking to community centers. We are, we're we're trying to connect with politicians. Anyone that understands the importance of community and 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 increasing um, society's wealth um, in a in 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 a holistic concept, mm-hmm. right? So here here we are, uh, not always addressing the the whole whole person. And if we're not addressing the whole person, then there's a deficiency. And if there's a deficiency, then this is where... Well, there's a gap. Then there's an opportunity for something to creep in and uh, or creep out <laughs> <laughs> and cause more grief. That's right. In terms of culture, is that mm-hmm. also something that you... Because you mentioned about the reality of the composition mm-hmm. of a lot of the... Uh, Incarcerated. Yeah, I think uh, you know we are at a place where we're at a place where we are in Toronto really addressing addressing the uh, anti-black racism that's happening here. Um, if we look at the UN, the, you know they've they've already also acknowledged that uh, this decade, next decade, is a decade of um, African Canadian uh, African diaspora. And uh, and the hardships that we're going through throughout the world. So <clears throat> if if we don't recognize that, and if we're not addressing that or speaking to those realities, then we're really not trying to fix the problem. We're really not trying to support people. We're just um, happy with the way that they that things are. So uh, I think the black community needs to continue to voice. Make a voice, make some noise. If we're not out there making noise, then who's going to make noise? You know, this is how the civil rights movement got. Uh, how changes happen? They're not going to be given to us, uh, and and it's not only the black community, but those who are who recognize that there is a problem in in right. society, in society. Yeah. and that's how things change. Mm-hmm. If it doesn't happen from a united effort, nothing is going to change. Mm-hmm. And so the numbers will continue to be the numbers. The problems will continue to be the problems, and uh, and. This is just another way of uh, uh, of social enslavement. Right, and so at the end of the day, I mean, it is what it is. At the end of the day, that what we have in place is not working. It's not working. It's it's not serving us. And so we do need to start at the grass, you know, roots level, and we do need to look at how do we connect with those people that are gatekeepers that are really interested in sort of supporting and and, and start and looking at 
where the challenges begin and how we can, you know, start having conversations. I can't say that enough because I think that, you know, it's important for us to then act. <laughs> we don't have a lot of time left, but, you know, in order to get effective, meaningful change, agitate, mm-hmm. you know, shake things up from the status quo mm-hmm. and get more inclusivity, there's people who obviously are not part of the particular communities that are as much uh, impacted by this. Mm-hmm. So people, quote, on the outside, the mainstream, mm-hmm. predominantly white people, let's just say, yeah. who have a lot of authority and power. How are you going to get, why would they care? Well, I think for them, it, it, it could come down to dollars and cents. <laughs> you know, I mean, the amount of money that they're putting into to uh, to the correctional system, I think it, numbers around two billion in the last uh, number of years. So if it's not cost effective for one, and then um, you know the more importantly, uh, you're not welcoming people into I- into Ontario, right? You're welcoming them in order to do what? Incarcerate them? I, I you know the amount of people I see um, that are incarcerated that are facing deportation. Those who are, um, like we said before, uh, uh, low education, low income, all of those things are factors. So if we're not taking care of them on the front end, we're going to end up taking care of them on the back end. Mm-hmm. And it's more expensive to do it on the back end. And we're not um, we're not showing, well, it's not their place to show love. But, you know, I think that those that are part of the faith groups, which there are many of, um, we were always uh, those on the forefront of moral um on the moral change mm-hmm. what what's the standard so those faith groups those humanitarian groups that are out there uh, we need to get together and, and and recognize what is right and what's not right mm-hmm. and do something about it so if people want to learn more mm-hmm. about the program how can they do so or get involved in some way yep a family a family that heals together dot com family that heals together.com that's uh, the initiative that we're working on when when we're speaking about families in incarceration uh, the healing generational hurts uh, is our multi level approach whether it's working with education and getting kids into university whether it's working with commu- communities and helping them have um, safer homes um, in, in different spaces and activities uh, all those things are happening but right now uh, if we're looking at incarceration and working with families a family that heals together dot com and what could you suggest for people who have a family member who is or has been incarcerated don't let it fester don't let the silence fester don't let the anger fester have a conversation reach out um, and we're here we're, we want to be part of that support base and so I think it's it's important that they just get behind that and, and know that they're not alone. Don't mm-hmm. feel that you are less than due to this issue. Okay, we uh, we could talk longer. Yes. <laughs> we got to say goodnight because there is constraints here somewhat too. <laughs> so thank you very much for coming and educating and informing us and, you know, prompting people, provoke people to stimulate them to change. So Thanks for having us. Appreciate you being here tonight, thank both you. of you. Thank okay. you. You've been listening to Mediation Station on CHHA, 1610 AM, Voces Latinas.